Happy Monday. How's it going, everybody? It's going well. Going well? Happy Monday. Good. Happy Monday. What did you spend the weekend on, Joe? <laughs> uh, nothing at all. Nothing at all. <laughs> no, it was, uh, just, we're just uh, finishing up um, copywriting and stuff, so it's super fun. But yeah, but, people hear enough about that. Let's talk right. about Emily here. So uh, <laughs> yeah. Emily, welcome to the Monday Morning Data Chat. How's it going? Thanks so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah, happy to have you here. For people who don't know who you are, do you want to give an intro? Yeah, happy to. Uh, hello, happy Monday. My name is Emily Sherio. I uh, am a data strategist in residence at Amplify Partners, a seed stage VC firm uh, focused on technical founders. Uh, prior to this, I was director of data at Netlify. Before that, I was the first data analyst at GitLab, joined the company at about 280 people, watched the company grow to over 1,300, and spent about a year as interim chief of staff to the CEO while we hired the chief of staff. So really got to watch a variety of, of um, experiences as the company grew there and have been your first data hire at a myriad of places before that. That's Quite the resume. That's cool. <laughs> so, what, what, what stood out as uh, one of the um, cooler experiences in, in your progression? Um, there's like the experiences that are like professionally cool because they really push you and you grow. And then there's just like that thing that happened that's like a novelty that you'll talk about for your career for the rest of forever. Right. And so, like, there was one week where we had 42 people start on the same Monday at GitLab. It's like, whoa, yeah. 42 new hires in the same week. Um, well, they're all remote too, right? GitLab is a remote, remote first company. Yeah. So yeah, before COVID, back before it was cool to be remote. So <laughs> Yes, before it was cool. I, um, I joined GitLab in June 2018. Um, Taylor Murphy, who's head of product at Maltano, actually hired me into GitLab. Um, and I didn't meet anyone in the company until that August or September when we had our, our first company offsite. Uh, and that was in South Africa. That was, they flew the whole company in. Everyone came in from all over the world, you know, people coming from Australia and from Amsterdam and from the U S and really global thing um, came into South Africa. Then everyone goes home and gets sick for a week because that's how those things work. Uh, but yeah, it was like three months before I met anyone and then didn't see anyone in person for the most part for another nine months until our next offsite. Uh, and so all remote, but definitely focused on building relationships. And I think um, one thing GitLab did really well on that front was uh, really formalize a lot of informal communication. Mm. And so a lot of my thinking about how we build effective data teams is, is really leaning on how did GitLab build an effective remote organization back before it was cool. And one of them was this, this idea of like a virtual coffee chat. And so let's, let's get 30 minutes on the calendar or 25 minutes on the calendar. We're not going to have an agenda. We're not going to talk about work, but I want to know about you and who you are. And like, do you drink orange juice or apple juice with your breakfast? And uh, what's your favorite cereal and things like that. So that when we hop in a call to talk about work, we already have this relationship between mm. the two of us. And I think the reality is too, often we don't have to talk on calls. We don't have to jump on calls if we can be efficient over Slack, but you still need that FaceTime to connect with other human beings. <laughs> we found that too. We do something similar daily, where at least we've gotten into this habit because otherwise like people just don't connect. They just yeah, it's like a, a, a afternoon water cooler chat. Yeah, we call it back. I don't even yeah. know 
why it's called water cooler because nobody has those at, at anyway. <laughs> but but that's what we call it. So um, that's interesting. And yeah. I mean, so one thing that when we were talking before the show, one thing that caught my attention was this notion. You, you, you use this phrase service trap, and this is something that data teams might get into. What mm-hmm. can you explain what that is? So uh, I like to to think about it in the context of IT teams because it feels like the example that everyone can kind of map onto their experiences, independent of where you worked or independent of, of previous experiences. It's like, I have a problem. I'm going to submit a ticket. It's going to go into a void. I'm not going to know anything about it. And then eventually I'm going to get a response with like, maybe the thing I asked for was done. Maybe there are more clarifying questions and there are going to be next steps. So I think of that as like the teams who work and operate in that model of like, here's a question. I need something from you. I don't want your expertise. I just want this thing done. And then uh, the person pushing back the answer or the, the okay, this is done now. Um, and think about it like uh, how many times in companies have we seen people like, oh, I, I got locked out of my email or I forgot my 2FA or whatever. Like that is the service trap. And, mm-hmm. and it's where you are just stuck answering questions for other people over and over and over. So when we think about that in the context of the data team, it's a world where the business is just asking questions of the data team and the data team feels like it's their job to just like try to run through this series of answers. Uh, and they hate to break it to you, but it's a hamster wheel. They're never going to get off. It sounds like a help desk or something. That's exactly what it is. And what's the difference between that and building expertise? You said earlier, I don't want your expertise. I just want you to answer my question. Uh, it's the difference between a question that's like, how many people signed up last week versus what drove the biggest change in signups last week? Got it. And so the tendency in the service trap is that you answer ad hoc questions instead of like building things that are going to be useful for the long term, perhaps. Is that a good way to phrase it? It's certainly part of that's that's a, a way to think about it. I think about it more as like there's this framework for for analysis that I've written about before. Um, that's like reporting insights predictions, right? And so reporting is just like a level one. What was the number? Or, or it, it's nothing like groundbreaking. It's just like what is the thing that happened? And while it's important to have those facts in as you think about your org and, and make decisions, um, they don't really move the needle that much. What really moves the needle is insights. And it's providing the business with additional information, not just on the what happened, but the why did it happen, mm. right? And so um, not just how many people signed up last week, but which, which um uh, source brought in the biggest change in signups. That is much more interesting because if we have people coming from Reddit and Twitter and YouTube and whatever signing up every week, but last week we had two X as many people come from uh, Twitter, like what is going on there that we need to dig into and understand and, and see what's driving that change. And that is a much more useful use of everyone's time rather than just like, Oh, signups were up. That's I think really, that's the difference. I think that's a good delineation. What are you gonna say, Matt? Oh, oh, just I was gonna ask a follow-on question. So do we think do you think we've seen companies emphasize the 
um, insights and predictions more during COVID and on versus just simple reporting. So starting in 2020, did we see a shift in how companies were interested in data? I wonder. I'm curious why, why you're asking the question. Like, do you have opinions there? I kind of do. I'm curious if you have some observations. I, I think in theory, for, for many companies don't really feel like they have to predict, right? They feel like their business just kind of hums along, does the same thing. And all of a sudden with COVID, we saw this with many of our clients, the rug was pulled out from under them. And for many businesses, many businesses did better, but in ways that were completely unpredictable and unpredicted. And even the mm -hmm. reporting became very, very tricky suddenly. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know that I would say a lot changed in terms of like practicality on the ground. I, I a thousand percent, the models that you used to predict before, throw them out the window because there was no COVID parameter, pan, global pandemic parameter in your linear regression and, and your predictions were off. But I think um, most data teams and the more leaders, I just hopped off a call with someone this morning who their, their data team tripled over the last two years. So the company, um, the company doubled, but the data team tripled. The company's really investing in, in data at the organization and they want people to feel like there's plenty of access to data expertise. Um, but they just also feel like they're still on this hamster wheel. And mm -hmm. so our conversation was very much about like, how do we start moving out of this and where, where do we start impacting the business? And what I saw leading the org at Netlify was that the more you can avoid answering questions for people, the more you push information out to the business, the more space you get to push more information out. And so if people are getting a steady stream of information from the data team, they will create space for the data team to ask more questions or, or to for the data team to push more information out to the work. Right. And so it's like this, this cycle that like once, once you get off the hamster wheel and you start impacting the business proactively, it becomes easier to do that over time. But in the beginning, it's... Uh, it is very hard to break off that hamster wheel at first. I, I like this idea of pushing data and insights to the business because I don't, this, I, I don't see this paradigm often enough. Let's let's say that, yeah, yeah, no, I, is everywhere. It is, and I, I have this note here where it's kind of the distinction between like being reactive as a, as a data team mm -hmm. and being proactive, and I think pushing mm -hmm. is obviously inherently a proactive activity. Um, yeah, this is. This is interesting, but you know, to kind of reverse it, I, I would ask, why do you think um, the business views data as basically the equivalent of an IT help desk? Because I, 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 I ask this question yeah. a lot too. So yeah, I'm curious. I, I don't know that I have like the definitive answer here, other than like. I, I mean, I would I would flip it back to you. I'll share what my thoughts. My first first reaction here is, and then I'll flip it back to you because I'm curious in your work, what you see with your clients. But I think it has a lot to do with how data teams get started, which isn't that like a, an executive often believes in data. And so they proactively hiring, hire an, an analytics engineer and they set up a stack and they're like, okay, go find stuff and help drive business strategy, right? What happens is uh, 
we're just seeing that retention isn't what we were hoping for. We launched this feature and it's just not getting the usage. So we want to better understand our users or we want to better understand our customer acquisition costs. And so they go out and they hire that, that analytics engineer, but there's already a backlog of questions that we now want this person to answer. And now they're in the service trap on day one. Oh, Joe, you're muted. Looks like you, yeah. Oh, well, there we go. <laughs> Mic trap. Um, <laughs> Mariah has a question here. What's up, Mariah? She was on the Friday show. She's awesome. Um, she says, I have a question. So our company has a BI team without data engineers. How can we uh, support a reporting team by providing them? Um, I'm, I don't think that's the word you intend. Re relevant. Um, relevant. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, um, uh, relevant data sets without throwing off um, our own product roadmaps. Any thoughts on this? I'm curious about what your product roadmap is and yeah, how it aligns to like the business strategy because like your your work, everyone should be marching in the same direction, right? Like the whole organization should be moving the needle on whatever the big North Star for the company is. And so we should all be working on the same direction. These things should be very, uh, it should be a, a Venn diagram with a lot of overlap. Yeah. Hopefully like a perfect union or, or something. So in an ideal um, world. Yeah. The tech world. debt, CICD <laughs> improvements. Like there's always going to be a little bit out there that's only important to the data team. And you have to do that work. You just have to make sure you're marching in the same direction as everyone else first. Yeah, I would also ask, like, why why is the the um, team structure set up this way? Because uh, it's it would seem that a BI team should have the support it needs from um, engineers and preferably uh, you know analytics or data engineers. And so I'd be curious how the BI team gets its data and also what their goals are as a team. Like, obviously, they, you have a BI team, so what is their purpose? Um, are they supported or are they basically a help desk? So, and sorry if my dog's barking. There's a burst outside so what do you think matt yeah that's a good question i mean part of the problem here might be that bi teams can be a lot of different things right bi teams mm -hmm. can be all the way from on one hand analytics engineering to maybe we shift over a bit to reporting to just running ad hoc sql queries for service purposes like you were saying emily so do you, is there kind of a collaboration aspect to this when we talk about getting out off out of the service trap in other words instead of responding to the tickets do you want to sit down with the stakeholders and say here are some insights that we can look for and, and how have you seen that work in practice so i think the place to start is with a question which is what is the problem you're trying to solve, right? So when people come in and they say, how many people logged in on Monday morning, right? That's, what is the question you're trying to solve? And I think we've all seen like someone ask for technical help in like Slack or on a forum. And they're like, how do I subset this string, right? And it's like, actually the thing they wanna do is parse where people came from and they think that if they subset the string they'll solve that problem but understanding the problem they're trying to solve is really important before we make recommendations for sure yeah i'm a huge fan of like five whys um mm -hmm. you know, I, write, I write a lot about this i think data people need to be a lot more um i think um it'd be better interrogating the question behind the question 
Mm -hmm. There's always some other, because I, I think inherently most people, including probably all of us, we're not that great at asking questions first try sometimes, but for the most part, people, I would say as a rule, you should expect people are going to ask like a poor question out of the gate. And so you really mm -hmm. do need to dig into that more and understand what's, I can say, what's the goal? What are you trying to do? Um, so Mariah actually gave some uh, clarity of switches. Uh, so she says, uh, so let's say um, uh, product innovation versus insights. So we don't have a good pipeline for insights versus fixing customer experience and adding new features. So that's uh, what she's referring to. So if you have any thoughts or insights there. I think this is, raises another interesting question or, or issue maybe, which is that um, data engineers and analysts really, really tend to be kind of coders. In other words, we like playing with technology and even if we have a background in stats or applied math or something, we don't always have the the insights to ask the right questions. To your point, well, and in fact, I would say that yeah. that uh, you know, um, stats and math nerds tend to be maybe you approach things from first principles you're trained to. But I would also say yeah. that because you have such powerful tool sets at your disposal, you're almost the worst person to try and figure out how to solve the problem because you're just going to mm -hmm. approach it with a brute force method out yeah. of the gates. So. Well, I think there's something too, like. I see teams a lot of times when they get stuck on hard problems, they focus on like, let's improve our CICD or let's mm -hmm. add a linter to the repo. When I get into like what's actually happening here, it's that uh, it is easier to engineer engineer, right? To like really do the technical thing and get it done and check it off than it is to sometimes dig into this like messy business problem where you're not really sure what the ask is and what the analysis you need to do. And there's like 40 features and it can all be variations of whatever. And so, and, and inevitably it's like a circular project. There's no clear mm -hmm. start or end, right? And so making sure that we're focused on business impact instead of getting the thing done and, and closing the ticket and moving on to the next one is how we we make sure we're working on the right things. Well, and I think back to your experience at GitLab, one thing that I always felt was a really good way to, um, I think, solve problems was get to know the people who are asking the questions. So mm -hmm. uh, in a lot of cases, go to lunch with people, um, get to know yeah. what they do for work and also what kind of makes them tick. I, I found that mm -hmm. that short circuits a lot of conversations because um, when they have problems, you, you know the context. And you know how to talk to this person, right? So you kind of know, okay, what's their personality? Um, you know, do they want quick answers? Are they more like a systems one type thinker or a systems two type thinker? Um, but, you know, for to bring it back to Dan Kahneman, but, it, you know, it's it, it's getting to know the personality of the person asking as well, which is, like, you know, like it or not, we all talk about how, you know, we want to be data driven, but a lot of it's personality driven too. That's just mm -hmm. kind of how it is. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it's interesting. Actually, Alberto has a good question here. Um, how do you size a data team scope focus support uh, depend on um, company culture for a company size? Something like that. Basically, how do you size a data team based on company culture and size? I think a good rule of thumb uh, is between three to ten percent of your company headcount should be dedicated to data. Uh, more if you've got data products or your data team is building information that goes into production systems. For example, a lot of data teams are responsible for consumption billing processes or co mm. consumption billing numbers. Then you need to be at the higher end. Um, you also want to be in the like medium to high end early on. And as you build out your core data sets, that percentage will go down a little. Uh, so that's number one. And then number two is as you think about that percentage, 
you want to make sure your data team isn't rolling up wholly to GNA. So when we mm. think about um, how companies manage their budgeting and their financial planning, companies definitely usually think about them in three categories, GNA, R&D, and uh, sales. And so R&D is research and development, GNA is general and administrative, and then sales. Um, your, and, and sometimes sales is sales and marketing. Um, when you think about your data team's headcount, I recommend that they are essentially reporting locally prioritized. So they should report into someone who is in the data org, but they should be a part of that marketing team. They should go to the marketing team meetings. They should have context on the marketing team work. They should understand the problems that the marketing team is looking to drive or to solve. Um, and if that's the case, their headcount should be funded by marketing. So the whole data org should not roll into just GNA, just because they all report into GNA. You have their headcount funded by the part of the business who they are moving the needle for. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. And how often do you see this happening? So for example, data people going to marketing meetings, I ask because I haven't seen it a lot, but it sounds like a fantastic idea. It was the model that we used at Netlify and it worked really well because, you know, uh, like our, our analytics engineer who spent her time focused on finance, she was in the finance team meetings. And so when new things came up, she could reprioritize because she had context on the problems. She didn't have to like go ask questions and get clarity. She could anticipate what was coming as she planned her roadmap and her vacation. Uh, the same thing was true of our product analysts. So our, our two, we had two data analysts who supported product and we had an analytics engineer who supported growth and they could manage those relationships directly because they had context. They knew yep. what experiments were coming. They knew what, what the problems that needed to be solved were like, and they were just a part of those organizations. Would you ever rotate, uh, people, uh, around different functions? Ooh, I think some functions are probably a little bit more amenable to that than others. Mm. So like, um, experimentation is like a very specific expertise, right? You need a, a certain level of statistical knowledge. You need familiarity with A-B testing. Um, that one's going to be a little bit harder to rotate. And then finance, where you have a lot of jargon and like revenue recognition versus like the difference between AAR and revenue and like those sorts of things. It gets hard to rotate, but I love the idea of, of like a tour of duty and giving everyone the chance to develop those skill sets. Um, it probably depends on like the skill sets of the team to start and then how that uh, evolves over time um, and, and whether or not there's interest, right? If people aren't interested in rotating, maybe we shouldn't rotate them if they really like those relationships and it's going well. Uh, I don't know. I'd probably try it and see how, how it goes. Have you seen that done well? I would see this in, in uh, finance, actually, in, in accounting departments. So okay. in a lot of cases, it's a, it's a way to um, detect fraud. Mm. right in practices so you you would uh, you would rotate people or have them take a forced um time off so you could have other people audit the um the function and make sure that it's not um yeah, embezzlement or something yeah. like that so that's you that know but it, yeah and, it, and plus it also means like especially in a hot job market say people just peace out do something else for fun um well, you're not factor. totally screwed <laughs> yeah so um actually at GitLab, we like to not call it the bus factor because that kind of has some sad connotation so for <laughs> folks who are, are watching and don't know like it's in case someone gets hit by a bus you don't want to be screwed 
Um, so we called it the lottery factor. Uh, like, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, one time I, my car was hit by a bus and my boss came driving by the other way and he's like, did you just get by a bus? And I was like, yep, <laughs> sure did. <laughs> but you're so, still with us. So yeah, Thank and you did not win the lottery. It did happen. Yeah, yeah. The bus like, like side clipped my car, and I was like, "What?" The? So anyway, that was a lot of fun. Um, got some good questions here, uh, and um, uh, Viola would love to know more about reporting insights predictions. Uh, if I post a link in the chat, uh, is that something you can share, Joe? Um, yeah. If you yeah put it in private chat, I'll just put it on LinkedIn or uh, add it to the LinkedIn chat if you're on it. I don't have that tab open mostly because okay. I was afraid of an echo. Oh, no worries. Uh, hearing my own voice, who needs to do that? But here is, um, so this is that blog post that I'm just put this in the uh, chat for everybody here. I'll put it on um, YouTube as well. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So I generally think about it as um, your, your data team as you come up to speed and mature with the business, you need to start with reporting. So this is just like, we need to match the numbers that people are already used to seeing. Um, so if, you know, reporting is currently being driven out of Salesforce for our sales organization, and they're seeing that we've got 20 opportunities open or 200 opportunities open, like how do they get that number? Let's match that number. It might be that there's a problem with that number, but we need to explain what the problem with that number is. So that's number one. Um, I call this toll paying in that like, mm. it's not great. It doesn't necessarily create anything new for the business, but it does align and get everyone on the same page for what the data team is saying. And then insights, this is like the net new thing that uh, the data team creates. And it's from a combination of factors. It's it's multiple data sets coming together that there currently aren't uh, analyses coming from. So maybe you're bringing Salesforce and product usage data and you're combining them together to do this other thing. So that's kind of step two, insights and predictions. Um, people hear predictions and they think like machine learning. And I'm like, no, you know that chart that, that goes and it has numbers and it goes like that, just, just like up into the right, just like keep drawing that line. That is your predictions for now. Like you, you can get there at some point, but right now, like just, just start with extending the line outward or you're growing 5% every week. Like just assume you're gonna keep growing at that rate for a little bit longer and figure out, like make business assumptions, crowd, jot down what they are, store them someplace, understand what assumptions you're building into your model, but just like don't overcomplicate things, solve the business problem in front of you. Uh, I need a better way to say this, but a line that anyone who's ever worked for me has heard before is like, we're not solving world hunger here. And what I mean by that is like, let's not overcomplicate what we're trying to do or try for a solution that's unrealistic. We can just focus on what's the, the smallest thing we can do right now that's going to provide a business impact hmm. and give people more information than they have today. And so that they can take an action, get feedback, and we can adjust appropriately. But for predictions, for the predictions part, how do data teams figure out where to look for, sorry, sorry, uh, for insights? How do data mm -hmm. teams figure out where to look for insights? Because you can dig through data and find all kinds of things. 
only mm -hmm. a small slice of those things is actually useful to the business. So how, how do you locate those insights? So anything you find, I think can be insightful. So that's number one, and we'll dig into that in a second. But number two um, is that I, I think the best place to start finding an insight is like adjacent to the thing you were asked to do. And so starting with number one, if someone says, you know, where did our new signups come from? Or like the, we noticed a big spike in signups from Reddit, like which subreddit, is that the right language? I don't use Reddit. I don't know why I've got Reddit on the brain today, but which subreddit sent us all this traffic? Like if, if that's the question, you can't find a pattern, like there's just a bunch of them, then like, I don't know, Reddit is the one that drove the traffic, but there's no pattern in the subreddits. Like that is an insight, right? Yep. No, no pattern <laughs> is insightful. And so like any piece of information that we didn't have before, but can help shape the, the business or help shape the, the way we think of an answer to the problem like that needs to be thought of in, as insightful we can't just say like if it doesn't move the needle three percent it wasn't insightful enough right and then the second piece um <coughs> excuse me the second piece around like how do we go looking for insights the way the way i, I coached my team to move out of the service trap at netlify was you know like every other team we'd started in that context of of uh, there were a million asks for us from a bunch of different parts of the org. And so we're answering other people's questions. And I would, what I would coach people to do is take this insight that you would take this question that you were asked and just like turn it 15%. Like mm. you were asked about the pricing page. And so you're going to be doing an analysis on the pricing page anyway. I want you to look at the paths that drive people to the pricing page. And is one path more likely to convert than another? Or you're looking at people who use this feature and their retention at the seven day mark, but look at the retention at the 14 and 30 day marks too. Yeah. Like just take that analysis and shift it a little and then push that information out. And now what you've done is you've taken the question you were asked, you've hopefully helped someone understand an actual problem that they were trying to solve and move the needle for them there. But you've also found something else that you can push to the business. And even if the answer is we found that like seven day retention and 14 day retention were exactly the same, we don't have anything new to push out. Like That is an insight. Right. And it's going to shape what the business does with that. Does that make sense? I think so. Yeah. I mean, yeah. based on my experience, because I think most of us who've had the title say data scientist, which we'll come back to in a second, have actually done a lot of analytics Matt, work. Matt, your dog. But yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, but this means in practice that you get, get asked to generate a report. And often as you're building the report, you're like, huh, what, what is this thing I see in the data? And mm -hmm. you can either ignore that or and just send the report out. Or you can send the report and then dig deeper and come back and say, hey, this looks kind of interesting. Do you care? Well, that's a good point, though, Emily. I think in a lot of cases, yeah. analysts are incentivized to try and search for novelty mm. when really mm -hmm. the novel answer is that, you know, um, things are going pretty well actually don't and change. So, yeah. yeah yeah it's just it's just you know you got to be objective about reality but I, I think also though it's like oh well i found this interesting nugget of stuff right so it's, it becomes almost this like treasure hunt when really the job is just okay so how are we doing and you know and why versus um you know i think trying to cherry pick things that might make you look good in front of an audience i, I see this happening i would yeah. say not, not infrequently so so do y'all use RSS feeds to, to subscribe to blogs? Not anymore. 
No. Used uh, to. I must be yeah. last person standing over here. So, uh, so, so on Reddit uses RSS. Do you use uh, uh, you get Reddit through RSS? No, I don't kidding. use Reddit at all. <laughs> um, but but so imagine a world forget RSS feeds exist. Yeah. There there was a point in time where there was like some blog you liked so much where you would like go to the site and type the domain in and just like refresh to see if there was anything there. And maybe mm. you came back to it when there wasn't anything and you'd refresh again, right? And what is a blog, but like a feed of information in reverse chronological order, right? So at Netlify, we started this um, internal, for lack of better term, data team blog. And it wasn't internal to the data team, mm. it was internal to the company. And what we would do is take these insights that we were finding um, and put them on this internal blog. So this was inside of our company handbook. It was a, an 11T site hosted with Netlify, uh, but you had to have like Netlify SSO to log in. And so you would, what we found after doing this for a couple weeks, very quickly, we had a full blog of insights. And it was just like, take this analysis you're already doing and turn it a little bit on its side, whatever your conclusion is, like we're gonna publish that to the internal blog. And the headline is just gonna be your takeaway. So sometimes the takeaway is gonna be 30 day retention, not indicative of, you know, buying pens black or blue, whatever it might be. But very quickly, what we found is that executives throughout the company were refreshing that internal blog every single day, multiple times a day. And they were just like waiting for the data team to push out more information, even when the information was, this is not significant, or this, this didn't affect this, or this feature is not correlated with usage or whatever, but like, doesn't matter. You know, the thing that isn't important is just as important as the things yeah. that are, because we don't want to spend our time on the things that don't move the needle for the business. It's interesting too, though, because once again, this is an insight about um, sharing information, about socialization, about organization rather than, I mean, partially it's about the data itself, but it's about how you communicate that data, which again, so often gets ignored, I think. Mm -hmm. I just got a uh, question here. Um, Tyler Hillary. What's up, Tyler? Uh, he's, interested, he's interested to hear um, your thoughts about Tristan Handy's recent statement. I think that there is too little scrutiny of the value of data teams today. Yeah. yeah, let's talk about this. <laughs> I too read Tristan's uh, analytics engineering roundup yesterday, which now I'm really glad I did because I don't always get to read them on Sundays. Uh, but but I'm I'm glad I did. I, uh, I I I don't know that I agree. I think there's a lot of talk on data team tooling, but I'd be less. I probably care a little bit less than uh, around what the business thinks and more around <coughs> excuse me can data teams articulate the value of of mm. their impact to the business i know the the last two talks i've given at coalesce last year and the year before i talked about how we think about data team roi um because this is something that i've cared about for a long time but i think uh I challenge more data people to be able to tie their work to business impact um, mm -hmm. and less of, of, <coughs> excuse me, less of us being worried about uh, the business per se and, and how the business articulates that 
the other thing too is like when things are going great like the the like Tristan said, the macroeconomics are great and there's plenty of VC funding and, and things are going well for companies, then like it's easy to not worry about efficiencies. And then as things get tighter, efficiencies become more of a concern for businesses. So it's great that people are thinking about it, but um, I've always had this top of mind in the first place. <laughs> yeah, I, I've always been, I mean, I've always worked for, you know, mostly companies that are profitable and run one. So it's it, it, efficiencies are always top of mind. Like if you aren't making mm -hmm. money, then, um, well then I guess you're not adding value. So it's, it's pretty binary. Right. So, yeah. but it, and Matt and I always joke too. It's like, okay, so you're, um, your accountant, uh, I don't think they really need to tell you, Oh, am I adding any value to you? It's like, you, you want your taxes done or not, or, or <laughs> you, want, you, you want your books reconciled or, or no, if you don't, that's fine. I mean, you know, so, but data is one of these things I think, yeah, you're right. Or it's, I, I'm always a fan of like show, don't tell. So if you have to tell me mm -hmm. that you're adding value and having to scream from the rooftops, it's probably an inverse correlation with the amount of value you're really adding. Because if you have to keep mm -hmm. telling me this, then, you know, I just might be trying too hard. I don't know. What do you think, Matt? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, one, I, I kind of have a question. I, I think my observation is that especially in kind of the peak Hadoop era, we saw a lot of this, what you would call, Joe, cargo culting of technology, where every even small companies are like, oh, Hadoop is going to solve all these problems. And then you'd have a technology-focused team that would build out the stack. And there really as, actually wasn't much focus on doing something with the stack, delivering insights, delivering predictions. Do Has that changed much um, now that that technology stack is less popular? Are we more focused on the value of data versus the technology itself? Well, I mean, do you, do you think that data teams have a lack of options for data tooling? <laughs> <laughs> That's all we can do is laugh, right? It's like, it's like, yeah, all right. Um, um, you no longer need to hire four engineers to get started. But you might need That's to amazing. hire a data scientist. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, talk about, I, I, talk, you, have some, you have some pretty uh, good opinions on data scientists. Um, want to talk yeah. about that? You don't want to hire them. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, so, so to put a, a bow on that thought, like the, the yeah. one thing I will say is that um, we should all, independent of your job title, independent of what you do in a business, you should be able to articulate the value that you're bringing to the company. Yeah. Right. When we think about what a resume is and those bullet points that you put under your your title, it should all be about how you move the needle. And then as a manager, your version of that is what your team moved the needle on. And so we need to be doing this regularly, independent of whether we're on the data team, the accountant, accounting team or the janitorial staff. Like what is the value that you created for the company and how did you move the needle? And with data teams, if your impact to the business is better decision-making, nobody sits around and is like, Joe made this decision using data. Matt made this decision using <laughs> data. But we know the impact that we have to the business when people feel it. There's a great blog post by Barry McCardle, CEO of Hex, where he talks about like data team ROI. And I, I'd suggest everyone give that a read. Um, data scientists. Let's... Let's talk about data scientists. So we don't want controversy um, on this show. We, we... no, no. Um, it, hopefully, actually, this isn't controversial. Like that's yeah. that's what I would love to say. But um, what do data scientists do? Exactly. <laughs> well, let's now, let's, let's take a step back. What what is a data scientist? Yeah. I, exactly. So so. 
Um, I really dislike the job title data scientist because every person, every role, every company has a different definition of, of data scientist. And I saw this earlier on in my career where um, for a couple of different roles, I was their first data person. And what I would see is these companies would say like, oh, we need data. We don't know what that means. So we're going to go out and hire a data scientist and they'll like figure it out. Um, and I've seen that go wrong enough times where um, that was the first thing to kind of make me a little bit skeptical of the job title. Then there was that um, blog post that came out of Lyft back in 2018. That's what's in a name. And they say, we're rebranding all of our data analysts to data scientists. So that was like the second thing that made me skeptical. And then the third, so um, I did a lot of hiring in my last couple of roles. And whenever I would interview data people, they'd have this job title of data scientist. I'd always early on in the interview say like, so your, your resume says you were a data scientist. Like, tell me what you did for the business. And what I was asking here was like, were you writing complex modeling and algorithms or were you doing reporting? And it's not that one is better than the other. They're just two functionally different things, mm -hmm. right? So I think about the work we're doing as data teams where we're centralizing on like, what is the definition of customer? My AirPods are, are fighting me now. Mm -hmm. um, what is the, the definition of customer, right? We want the whole business to say customer and mean the same thing. When we centralize on the definition of revenue, when we centralize on one meaning for refunds. And so if we're standardizing on this language for these things that are important, why wouldn't we also centralize on job titles that make sense? Yeah, there's been a lot of title drift. And to Tiago's point, and if you're in LinkedIn comments, a lot of data scientists ended up being data engineers as well. So that they were doing things like writing MapReduce jobs or writing <laughs> SQL queries and True. orchestration. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like uh, Raga also says, what's up, Mike? Um, a data scientist is someone who codes in a lab coat, question mark. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're scientists. Yeah. So actually get the podcast coming out with uh, Mike and uh, Kevin Who this week. So stay tuned for that. Um, but yeah, it, it's interesting. I've, I've always... I, I too have had an aversion to um, data scientists. I think I remember the first, um, I kept hearing it in the early 2010s. And, it was, and back then it meant somebody who was doing machine learning basically, mm -hmm. or, or making feeble attempts to do it. because it was actually pretty hard back then. Uh, mm -hmm. It's way easier now. But um, so an analyst for the longest time was actually a four letter word. Like if you were not cool, if you're an, and in fact, a lot of my data scientist friends were, were claiming, oh yeah, BI and data and analytics is going to disappear with uh, ML. Um, I have my own theories about that nowadays, but that's a different topic. Um, but then I just started noticing title drift for sure. I think around like mm -hmm. 2013, 2014, right when you know deep learning was the cool thing um, coming up and everyone wanted to become a data scientist. Uh, companies were just overloading the term. So everything was a data scientist at some mm -hmm. point. And it was no more of a scientist than maybe like, you know, um, an artist is a sandwich artist that subway, you know what I'm saying? It's kind of like, it's just title overloading. And I, it got to the point where I, I kind of took a quip um, and, and said like data science is neither. So think about that one for a second. But uh, my hope is that this is a, a very non-controversial idea really soon. I like I, I would really love to see us centralize around job descriptions. That makes sense. And so what I say is, Data engineers move data from outside of your ecosystem in and manage your infrastructure. Uh, analytics engineers work with data within your ecosystem. Uh, data analysts focus on surfacing insights. 
for the business. And then machine learning engineers write, uh, build prediction models and, and productionize those. And so mm -hmm. within that, like that covers all of your bases and maybe people have specialties, like someone's focused on finance or someone's focused on the uh, sensitive data or whatever it might be. But like one of those four should cover 90% of the use cases. Right. I think that's fine. That, that fits, I think, uh, approximately what Matt and I've come up with for titles as well. Um, that whole kind of continuum. And so mm -hmm. analytics has is, is always been about insights, um, you know, and um, ML. It's just, I think it's a more of a continuum from like, as you said, with, uh, you know, reporting to predictive. Um, whether or not that includes ML, I think it's a different story. I was doing predictive modeling without ML way back in the day. Mm -hmm. too. So it could, it is possible you can do this. Um, so, here's I mean, a, here's a your, question. Oh, go ahead, okay. Matt. I was just going to say a lot of your valuable modeling is just basic techniques like linear regression, which was your point earlier. Emily. Like, can you fit a line to it and see what it predicts? So question for you. I yeah. like had an internet spat with someone about this. Okay. Is a linear regression machine learning? Mm, I said no. No, it isn't. That's what I like. You can do it in Excel. These finance bros, like... They will tell you that they're doing linear regression, but are they doing machine learning? I said no. And then I was told like, well, if you have to import scikit-learn, doesn't that make it machine learning? No, it doesn't. Uh, I would say where, where, where machine learning would begin maybe is if you take um, Tom Mitchell's classic definition of it, it's something that learns from experience and is able to produce um, uh, outputs uh, based upon um, the experience that it's, um, and that, you know, and the tasks that has been given, but that's not, but that, that implies that you've, you've created a, um, a model of some sort based on linear regression, and then that can live in the wild and, and perform predictions on it. So, and I would say that could arguably be a machine learning model, but that's more of a workflow question and yeah. a training question versus uh, a mathematical implementation, uh, which, you know, is just basically a slope plus some constants, right? I mean, that's yeah. liter literally all it is, and you're mm -hmm. just fitting error to it. Like, that's pretty, but that's not machine learning. I mean, if that is, and I suppose all of mathematics could arguably be machine learning and math, uh, Matt, I'm pretty sure you'd have an opinion on this since you do math. <laughs> I, I mean, it's funny. Uh, I think you could argue that a lot of machine learning techniques come down to transforming and featurizing data somehow. So you can linearize it and then do some high dimensional linear regression on it. But like, if you can, if you can do it in Excel, or even if you can do it with some basic scikit-learn functions, then I have to question if it's machine learning. But to me, it feels slightly fuzzy just because so much of real machine learning is based on linear techniques, but with a bunch of other stuff wrapped around them, if that makes mm. any sense. So got a question. Yeah. yeah so it's, it's, um, yeah, I, I, I think we're in violent agreement and, yeah, and, yeah, and, I, and again, so. I agree. I don't think that it is, um, that, uh, controversial. I think it's more, um, I think people want to cling to titles. Um, and so that's. Well, I, I think, I think there's actually an underlying thing, which is there's this almost hierarchy that people think machine learning is more cool than analytics. And right. so the push to like, Oh, well, this is also machine learning or like linear regression is machine learning because I do linear regression and that makes me cooler than someone who just does analytics. I think that's yeah. like the subtext here. Um, but I, I'm, I'm with y'all that it's not. There, there's kind of a cultural phenomenon here too. And that is that these definitions keep shifting because the technology keeps shifting. And so mm. I think in 2015, had you yep. asked a lot of people, um, it would be, if there's enough data that I need a big data system to do it, 
even if it's a simple technique, then it's probably machine learning. But the thing is in 2022, you know, like seven years later, you can just run a SQL query in a cloud data warehouse and you could scan a petabyte of data. Is that now suddenly machine learning? Um, it's kind of the same techniques we were using, although they're far, far easier than they were in 2015. I, I think just ML is one of these things where, yeah. you know, in, in 10 years, I mean, it already is basically, right? I mean, your phone yeah. has a lot of ML running yeah. in the background. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. basically every application, try taking a photo that uses ML behind the scenes sure. to optimize yeah. it. And so it's just one of these things where I, I hope that it's sort of, you're not talking about machine learning in the same way you talk about electricity right now. It's something you just take for granted. It's part of the everyday workflow. And that's just kind of how it is. To me, it's always just been another tool you know, that you can use when you need it. And you, I think people should know at least how machine learning works and, you know, have fun with it. But it's no, I would say no better or no different than anything else. Like, a, you know, a, um, you know, deep learning is to me is no different than a bar chart in a lot of cases. It's just a tool that you can use for stuff. That's how do you yeah, want to solve if, it? If we're focusing on business impact, like that is the thing that we should use to measure, measure success, right? And so a it's bar, not- a bar like chart? <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, if if that bar chart moves the needle more than a fancy ML model, then like it was much more impactful, and that's the thing that matters. Mm -hmm. Yep, agree, sure. It's you know, kind of zooming out, like you know, you you're in the um, VC space now. I mean, where do you see things going over the next um, two three years in the uh, data world? Um, I am. It's a broad question, I know. But... It is a broad question. I I think. I'm I'm going to join the bandwagon. Consolidation is coming. Um, I've been talking about consolidation for a while. And I think like the thing that really sold me on consolidation was my time at GitLab and seeing mm. how much more efficient our DevOps process could be using one tool. And so mm. I hated that something broke in production in the data world. You, a DBT test fails, and you have to go through five tools to go figure out where the thing is broken, right? So consolidation is definitely coming. Um, I'm not new in saying that. But the thing that I'm more excited about is, um, you know, we've got this proliferation of tools. You've got a tool for everything under the sun, it feels like. You've got options for tools for problems that we didn't even think existed five years ago. Mm -hmm. More importantly, like, Tools are great, but tools are nothing if we can't have careers and practitioners growing in their jobs and, and career paths for what impact to the business looks like. And how do you spend five and 10 and 15 years in your career growing and developing in the modern data stack? And so that is the piece that I'm really excited to mm. see where that goes. And how do people have impactful careers that don't require them to like do the thing and then just go back to a smaller company and do it again. And I talk about it with people and, and it's like, what does a career for a person who's been director of data or group VP of data look like? I can't get a good answer because there's a lot of like shoulder shrugging, shrugging. And so mm. I'm looking forward to data teams being more impactful. So we have more yeah. C-level executives and we see data teams being part of the conversations at companies sooner. Yeah, I mean, I kind of hope that it's the same way that we just talked about machine learning where it's just sort of in... It just is what it is. And that's why I hope mm -hmm. data teams are. It's not the data team. It's just, it's, a, you know, we're making, you know, impactful decisions mm -hmm. on data. And these people happen to be helping us and be very instrumental in that. Yeah. So, you know, so, I mean, all companies or should be data companies in, in theory. But, you know, that... I asked some, I asked someone a question once, like, what should your first, actually, actually, uh, Max Boschman of, of Airflow fame, I asked him, like, what should your first 
data hire me? And his response to me was early in a company, every person you hire needs to be a data hire. And I think about this all the Mm. time. But what he was saying is like, yeah, you're hiring a marketer or you're hiring a finance person. But like at that stage, they all have to be thinking about things through a data lens. And so I'm looking forward to seeing a lot more companies where that's the norm. And it's not like, oh, we have to set up our data function post series A because that's where we are in a business and that's when you do it. Uh, It's much more of like, no, data is just a way of working for our organization. It sets you up so much more nicely down the road too. Because you're not you're not going against this like sort of a maturity index like Cultural. well here's where I'm supposed to be right now in my age of company yep. and size it's silly. Well, and the the tools are so much more accessible too. I, I think in the early like 2010s, you were talking about either standing up like a Postgres server to be a data warehouse or something if you want to do serious data, which mm-hmm. was a big overhead expense. Um, or you were talking about buying a very, very expensive, you know, commercial product for data, or you were talking about Excel. And now you can just go turn on Redshift and it takes five yeah. minutes and you can actually have a data warehouse as a company of five people very easily. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Cool. Well, I know you got to um, jet in just a bit, so we'll, we'll wrap yeah. it up a bit early. Um, thanks for being on the show. Uh, yeah. Hope to have you on again. I love, love chatting with you. I feel like we can just keep chatting for, for days. Yeah. So. Thanks. Thanks for having me. If people want to follow up, I'm terrible at email and terrible at LinkedIn messages, but um, I hang out in locally optimistic a lot. And so if people want to ping me there or DM me, I'm more than happy to chat about any of these things. Awesome. Good group too. If you aren't part of locally optimistic, join it. It's awesome. Lots of uh, data people. um, I think asking really good questions and having great conversations. I sometimes chime in on um, really nerdy topics. Um, So um, I don't know if that scares you away from the <laughs> more than anything. So, um, awesome. Yeah. And just to plug an event we're doing here, let me just share the window real quick. Um, if you're in Salt Lake, we are doing uh top golf, um, with five tran snowflake this Thursday, uh, 3 PM sign up. It's going to be a lot of fun if you're into golf and data. So, um, and also next week, Monday morning data chat, we have the legend. Bill Inman, father of the data warehouse, joining us. So um, he's been, uh, it's been fun. We've been, we've been chatting quite a bit with uh, Bill Inman lately about a variety of topics. So he's a cool guy, uh, agreed to be on the show. So um, he's going to be talking about some of the stuff he's working on. It's, it's really cool. I mean, he's, he's, um, he could definitely retire at this point and he's just still pushing, uh, I think the boundaries of, of, you know, of data and what he's doing. I think it's really inspiring. So it's cool. And then um, this Friday, we have JU from Tiger Graph uh, going to be on the show talking about all things graph databases. And then the um, Friday on the 22nd, we have Jamak uh, Degandi talking about uh, data mesh. So stacked roster. Hope you can join. Uh, like I said, if you're in Salt Lake, let's do some top golf, uh, get some drinks. So, Emily, awesome to see you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks to the audience for the great questions. So, see you next time.